Heavenly Father, let's bow our heads. You are faithful, Lord, indeed. And we thank you, Lord, very much for the gifts that you've given us. To die on the cross for our sins is something we could not do for ourselves, Lord. And we come to you today humbled. Humbled and grateful that you would call us your children and that we could call you Father. A name we reserve only for you, our Heavenly Father. We call you God. We call you Lord. We call you Master. It is in your name that we are gathered here today. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray this morning. And all God's people say, Amen. All right. What I would like to do, I'm going to do something really radical. I'm going to stay seated, and I'll allow you to stay seated. We've never done this before, but I want us to recite our creed together. And let me just give you a little background real quick. Some of you were raised in liturgical backgrounds. matter of fact, you may not know this, but uh, over half our church came from a liturgical background. Uh, so when people ask what we are, that's a hard question sometimes to answer. Uh, it, there's, there's, what, um, there's what I am, uh, and there's what I was raised, and then there's what you were raised. But we're believers in Christ, and we're united uh, by that fact. But uh, there, one of the, there's a phrase in here that's not that we don't recite, and it's about Christ descending to the dead. And the reason we, we don't do that, because it was not in the original uh, Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> I know I, I get emails every once in a while. I, I don't really like the fact that you leave part of this out, that you've changed it. And we didn't really change it. We just went back to the original. Uh, and so that, that got late added uh, by the Catholic Church about 600 years, about 600 years after it was written. And, and nothing wrong with that. That's great. Uh, but we've just chosen to go with the original creed. Uh, of course, it wasn't in English either, for that matter. But uh, that's what we're doing. So when we recite this, uh, we're reciting something that literally... Uh, people died uh, when they would make these pronouncements. Sometimes they were given the opportunity to recite what they would believe. And literally we have hist- historical cases of people dying for their faith. Uh, the creed gives us a point, too, of what are the basic things that we believe. Where, where, where do I start? If I want to learn what, about, what Christianity is about, this is a good place to start. Another thing that it does, it, it ascribes to us or describes the tenets of the faith, the things that we deem are most important about our faith. And, uh, and it's also a way for us to profess uh, our faith and confess it before others. So that's what we're going to do here. So if you would, um, our creed, uh, let's show you this together. If you would, say it with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church, the communion of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. All right. Well, if someone was to ask you, what do you believe? That would be a great place to start. And I hope you're familiar with that. If not, uh, you can certainly look that creed up. It's a, it's a great pronouncement of our faith. The early Christian fathers, as a matter of fact, some would date that this was established uh, somewhere uh, about 60, 50, 60 years after the time of Christ. Uh, and so it was... Uh, a way to remember in a day when there was a lot of, not a lot of literature, not a lot of writings or, bi- or Bibles for that matter. 
for even the common man to memorize and to know this is what I believe as a Christian. This is what it, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 13 here in just a moment. Uh, and before we do, I want to give you just a little bit more background. You know, the Reformers uh, had some terminology that they used uh, to help people understand the difference between uh, knowledge, uh, commitment or acceptance, and unbelief. Uh, those are terms we throw around a lot, particularly John 3.16. What does it mean to believe? A lot of people say, well, it just means that you mentally know it exists. But we know that's not true because James chapter 2, the Bible tells us that the demons believe and shudder at the sound of his name. So what does it mean to believe? We know pisteo, the Greek word that's used in John 3.16, and we see it uh, used numerous times throughout the New Testament, is a Greek word that means total adherence to, or you could even use commitment to. So it's more than just a mental assent. So with that, let's talk about a couple of definitions real briefly here. First, first of all, these uh, were Latin terms used by the reformers. Uh, we see these terms in the uh, 15th, 16th century, and uh, even the 14th century we see some of this. But there's the first word is called uh, notitia, all right? Notitia simply means knowledge, okay? So when we first come to Christ, one of the things that we, we want to learn if we're seeking to know Him is knowledge, to have an understanding of who He is. It's one of the reasons we do the Apostles' Creed periodically. Know who He is, what He did, and why He did it. Okay, and then of course there is uh, the Bible is chock full of other uh, doctrine and other uh, practical ways to live out our lives, as well as describing who God is, why He came, and what that means to us. So notitia would be the first point. Number two would be a census. A census it simply means this: it means acceptance. Remember earlier I told you the Greek word uh, pisteo. Uh, for believe, it's uh, uh, certainly a knowledge, but it's also an acceptance. So it's a, a much bigger word than simply believe. And that's what this word means. A census, it means uh, to fully accept, to fully embrace. So we have notitia, the knowledge. Then we have a census, which is the acceptance. And then there's fiducia. <clears throat> fiducia, and you've, you, you, uh, fiducia you've, uh, some of you in the financial world or the legal world are uh, familiar with that term. And it simply means this. It means to trust. It means you are placing your faith and your trust in this individual or in this contract uh, or in this uh, negotiation, whatever it is. Uh, fiducia means trust. And so when we come to Christ, when we experience salvation, first of all, we have an understanding of what it is. That's knowledge. That's notitia. We accept it. Uh, we accept it as truth, the census, and then we embrace it. We transfer our trust. You hear me say that quite frank, frequently. I'll use that term. We transfer our trust from what we could do or from anything else, from a goodness mentality to what Christ has done for us on the cross. Okay? So those are our important terms to understand. Let me give you three more before we jump to the story. A little more simplistic. Uh, first of all, there's the, uh, what we would say is the lack of belief. Lack of belief means, uh, I simply don't have any knowledge. I don't understand what's going on. Uh, no one's ever shared the gospel with me, or I, I haven't had it explained to me. So it goes back to that knowledge. And so we'll see these terms used and employed in scripture. So, uh, when you say someone has a lack of belief, it means they haven't they haven't gleaned enough information. They haven't been uh, taught. They haven't been worked with. They haven't been listened to. And so that's a lack of belief. 
another one would be unbelief. Now, unbelief means you reject the knowledge that you're given. You reject the information that you're given. In, in this instance, you would be rejecting the truth. So I reject it. I make a willful and conscious decision to reject it. I heard it. I have a semblance of some kind of understanding, but I'm rejecting it. At a minimum, even if I don't understand it, I'm rejecting it. I'm choosing not to go there. And we do that all the time uh, when people send us things in the mail and we look at it and we throw it and we go, I'm not even opening it up. Tear it up. I reject that. Okay? And we do that all the time without having full information. Uh, and then thirdly, doubt. Doubt. Believing, but not trusting. I believe it. I recognize it as truth, but I'm not able to fully trust right now. And we're going to see a story about this. Jesus is about to share uh, an example here. You're going to see in Mark chapter 9, I think we can identify it. Matter of fact, everyone in this room really can resonate with one of those three char- characteristics. Some of us, we, uh, we believe and we've accepted Christ, but there are things that we doubt. There are struggles that we have. And that's a story about what's going to occur here. Some of us just reject it. Some people just simply reject, say, I'm not, I don't buy it. I'm not there. I'm not accepting it. While others say, I need to grow it. There's a lot I don't know. I want to, but I just, I need some help. I need to be discipled. I need to be in Bible study. I, I need someone to explain the, the, the scriptures to me and the truth to me. Okay. Without understanding, let's begin looking at our text beginning in the 17th verse of Mark chapter nine. Out of the crowd, one man answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, and he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Now, what we see here is Jesus has been with three of his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. They've come down, and they come down, and uh, they witness that. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to back up just to give you this understanding. Let's start at verse 14. I'll just let the story tell itself. Verse 14, when they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the scribes disputing with them. So there's an argument, not with the three disciples who've gone up with Jesus, but with those who've been left behind. And all of a sudden, there was a crowd that saw him, and they were amazed, and they ran to greet him, speaking of Jesus. And then he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Okay, so there's an argument going on. And you, we should assume that it's probably regarding uh, exorcism, the casting out of demons. That's what we would guess uh, they are arguing about. And out of the crowd, one man answered, Teacher, I brought, I brought you my son, and uh, he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And later on, you're going to see why they couldn't, okay? Uh, so we continue here. And the Bible says, He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. Now, who is Jesus speaking to there? <clears throat> well, we know for a fact that he's speaking uh, to the uh, scribes, the lawyers, those who are in the debate with uh, the disciples. Uh, we know that he's probably speaking to a large segment of the crowd, uh, and he may be also uh, speaking to the disciples as well. But we know he's speaking to the crowd. We know he's speaking to those who've chosen not to believe just by the verbiage that he uses. Because uh, he says, you unbelieving generation. Uh, basically, you've chosen to reject what I've told you. How long will I put up with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him to him. And when the spirits 
saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has he been? Has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And at this point, we know that this isn't just something that he recently developed. Uh, we know for a fact that this is something that he's been dealing with for a long time. Jesus uh, has compassion upon the man. He allows the man to tell his story. He listens to him. And he says this. He's had it from childhood. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus said to him, if you can... Everything is possible to him who believes, fiducia, to him who trusts, not just a mental acknowledgement, not just uh, a recognition, but a trust factor. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Have you ever been there? You ever been in that time or that place in your life? where you believe you've trusted Christ, you've committed your life to Christ. You believe He's the Son of God. You believe that He's involved in your life. But there's a situation that's just bothering you immensely. And you can't seem to jump over it. You have doubt. That's the word we would use right here. You have doubt. And really, doubt comes in two forms. It can be intellectual or it can be emotional. Sometimes it's intellectual in the fact that you may think, you know, I've studied all my life. I've studied uh, evolution and I, I just I couldn't make a jump like that. I can't see how God really could have been in control of all of these things. There are some intellectual facts about where did God come from and how did he get here and how is he eternal that I, I can't wrap my mind around. And so many people, because they can't understand it, uh, they call it intellect. And I'm, I'm not convinced that 99.9% of the time I don't think it's intellectual I think it's the other. I think it's emotional because you see suffering in the world. and You think, how could God allow suffering to happen? You see something that happens to someone in your family or a friend or let me go. How could God allow that to happen? Or why haven't things gone my way? Why has my marriage failed? Why are my children not doing well? Why am I feeling so lonely and empty? That's an emotional doubt. That's what it is. And we have to recognize that our emotions affect us, but they should not rule us. And this man's probably in that very position. He's heard that Jesus can heal. He's probably heard that Jesus is the Messiah. He's one of those believing. And he comes to Jesus and says, if you can heal him, please. And Jesus says, if, do you really trust that I can heal? Do you really trust that I am the Messiah? Do you really, really believe this, not just intellectually, not just emotionally, but do you trust me? And his answer is wonderful. It's the answer that, quite frankly, I sometimes have to give. It's the response that some of us have given here throughout our lives. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What are you saying? Lord, I believe. Help me with my doubts. I have I, I want to believe completely, but <clears throat> I was just here and your disciples couldn't heal them. I know they've healed others, but they couldn't heal him. I've, I've got this other group of voices saying that you're not real, that you're a rogue rabbi, so to speak. And yes, those things are infiltrating my mind. But God, I, I do want to fully believe. 
Have you ever been there? You ever had doubts that you just really couldn't fully trust? And Jesus, in just a moment, is going to put him in a situation where he really has to trust in spite of the circumstances. Let's continue here. And the Bible says at this point, when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter in again. And then it came out, shrieking and convulsing him violently, and the boy became like a corpse, so that many said he was dead. The father comes and he mentally believes and he understands and he wants to receive and he comes to that place that he has some doubts, but he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and Jesus sees his request, which, by the way, is a great way for us to respond. And he sees three things, I believe, about the man that are prerequisites before we come to Christ. Number one, the man has humility. He's asking in humility. He's not demanding. He's not yelling. He's not screaming. He's not sarcastic. He comes in a spirit of humility. He also comes in a spirit of honesty, of being real about where he is, about what his struggle is. But we see him putting also his hope. And that word hope in English is probably not a, it's not as good a word as we see in the New Testament. That word hope means confident expectation. And he confidently expects Jesus. And Jesus comes in through the power of the Holy Spirit and makes up for what he cannot do. And he heals the young man. But what's interesting, when he heals him, it appears as though he's dead. He's come to Jesus for healing, for restoration. And he's given potentially the thing that he loves the most into the hands of Jesus. And this demon certainly leaves, but now he looks dead. Have you ever had that situation where maybe when you turned your life over to Christ, or maybe you really decided to trust Him, and before things got better, they got worse? You made the commitment, you believed, you've trusted Christ, and now things have gotten worse. Maybe you've been in a marriage and it still dissolved. I know the story about a friend of mine that, that goes here, and he trusted Christ after a long time, and then his marriage ended. Can I tell you this? That sometimes when we put things in the hands of Jesus, at least from an outward appearance, it seems like they get worse. They get harder. Now, sometimes it's all joy and bliss. But many of you could stand and give a testimony about how you've trusted Christ and it didn't immediately get better. Matter of fact, it immediately got worse. It got harder. And that's what's transpired here for this gentleman. But that's not the end. But then Jesus took him by the hand and raised him. And he stood up. Now, we don't have enough information to know if he was dead or not. But we know at least he was comatose. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him. You know, um, there are people here in our church that uh, have passed away people that I prayed for fervently, that many people prayed for fervently. And then uh, they still passed away. 
And what does that mean? Does that mean that prayer doesn't work? Does that mean we didn't do it exactly right? I'll tell you what it means is that God is sovereign and He's in control and that we trust that whatever He does is ultimately what is best for the eternity, for an eternal perspective, not just for temporary. Temporarily, it's always, uh, when something of that nature happens, it's always not going to make sense to us. But God has an eternal perspective. And He has purpose in all that He does. And for us to really trust Him means that we trust Him from that perspective. Lord, even if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to trust you. God, even if things get worse, I'm going to trust you. And Lord, when I get to that place where I really doubt and I think I can't take another step, Lord, help me believe. Help me not get stuck in my doubts. And after he went to his house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind comes out, speaking of the Spirit, by nothing but prayer, and your translation may also say, and fasting. Prayer and fasting. It appears that the disciples didn't pray. That's what it leaves us to interpret. That they, we know from past experiences that they had cast out demons, that Jesus had commissioned them and given them power to heal people. And they had been doing it. And, and things had been going well. They are going so well that in this particular instance, we didn't have to spend any time in prayer. We saw the need we went over and nothing happened. We also know that sometimes we pray and nothing happens. I just shared a testimony of that with you. But we know this. We know that if God is going to heal that it always, at a minimum, requires that we be in a spirit of prayer. Evidently, the disciples missed that part. It wasn't that they didn't believe. It's that maybe they believed in themselves too much. And they neglected to pray. So what do we glean from this passage practically today? What can we learn here today? Well, I want to give you a few things that I think we can Glean. Let's talk a little bit about doubts because we all deal with them. We understand what unbelief is and we understand what trust is, but let's talk about doubts for just a moment. Number one, when you have really, when you have intellectual doubts, I think it's important that you, you acknowledge those, whether they be intellectual or emotional, that you acknowledge those and you say, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm not trying to gloss over it. I'm having a hard time right here. But while you acknowledge them, it doesn't mean that you invest in them. What I mean by invest? That you constantly think about it and think about how it must be wrong and how Christ must have just been a regular man, how there must not be a God. What we do is we learn to doubt our doubts. We recognize that we have doubts, and then we recognize, you know what? I'm going to doubt those doubts as well, just like I've doubted faith. I also have enough information, enough experience with Christ and God Almighty to know that He is in control. And I can doubt my doubts. Number two, I want to encourage you to study and read. Uh, you know, let me give you three good apologetic, um, three good apologetic sites. I'm not going to have those up there. We can hold off on that for just a moment, please. Uh, let me give you three that I, that I want to encourage you to, to consider using. Number one is called CARM.org. C-A-R-M. Dot org. 
C-A-R-M dot org, CARM dot org. Uh, another one is a reasonable faith, a reasonable faith dot org, reasonable faith dot org. Now that's by William Lane Craig. Now CARM dot org is a pretty simple one and is very easy to understand, very easy to navigate around. Uh, but a reasonable faith, that's going to be heavy. That's Dr. William Craig, who's probably the foremost apologist in the, in, in America today, maybe even in the world. Uh, and so it's heady. For you really bright people, I encourage you. Um, for the rest of us, CARM.org is a great place. Um, and then something kind of in the between is, is R-Z-I-M.org. R as in Ravi. Z as in Zacharias. I as in international. M as in ministries. R-Z-I-M.org. And this won't help you, but we'll put those up there for the next one. I, I, that's my bad. I told them to erase it. But those are three good sites to help you with intellectual questions. And one of the key things for me uh, is to, to remember that there are greater minds through history that have struggled with whatever questions I've struggled with. And to go and to read them. Of course, there's C.S. Lewis, and from a more, uh, more readable and very understandable and very simplistic, there's Lee Strobel, A Case for Christ. Uh, all these people have, you've got a ton of people who were agnostic or atheists who've come to Christ and how they've walked through many of the same questions we have. So don't start thinking, boy, I'm the smartest person in the world. I figured out that God's not real uh, kind of deal. You know, that's, that's really not a novel thought. Uh, but recognize that there are great minds of the faith who've struggled with the questions that you've had. Now, what about when they're emotional? Well, first of all, again, I think it's very important to recognize that sometimes they're emotional. Uh, experience, when we experience disappointment, it's easy for doubt to flood in. Um, and the problem is you can't determine truth by how you feel. If, you know, here's something I could do. I could probably... This morning, for some of you, not all of you, uh, particularly for the children and uh, maybe some some others, I could stand up here and do a roaring testimonial and have firemen come up here and talk about what a great occupation being a fireman is. That firemen save lives and firemen help people, and we need more firemen. If it wasn't for the firemen, then we would lose our city and many people would die because the firemen and the paramedics weren't there to help them in the immediate moment. I, I could do a big test one and I'd go, now how many of you want to be a fireman? And they, I'll be a fireman. I, mean, I could go over there in our big city room and do that right now. I could probably get half of them to raise their head, hands to be firemen. Well, that's because I would have done it on emotion. Okay? So when I, just on the other side, when I have a negative emotional experience, I could go in there and I could talk about how you know, how bad it would be uh, for you to be a police officer. People are going to shoot at you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to call you names. They're not going to pay you enough money. And I could just say all these hard things that police officers have to deal with. And we got some in here. And some of them are nodding their head. Uh, but, uh, <clears throat> and I could, I could go, go at it that direction. And go, well, I don't want to be one of those. I don't want people shooting at me. I don't want people saying ugly things to me. I don't want to be put in that position. And it would be an emotional response. You've got to recognize when hard times come in our life, when suffering occurs, then it evokes emotion. But we're not ruled by emotion. We're ruled by the truth. And the truth is God's word. And when we're spiritually dry, that's another time that it's easy for us to drift. When we quit reading the word of God, when we quit praying, when we quit uh, attending worship, when we're not involved with God's people, it's just a natural progression that we drift. 
So, how do I deal with these uh, doubts that I have? Let's give some specific things that we need to do. When I have doubts, and here's where we'll use our list here. When I have doubts, first of all, confess it. Pray, pray it and confess it before God. Number two, uh, have humility. We talked about that with a man before. That spirit of humility. Be honest. Be open. Don't try to deny, well, no, I... I'm great. I'm fine. I'm, I'm all right. It's not bothering me at all, God. It's not bothering me at all whenever, when, when you're talking to someone. That, that doesn't help. Be honest. Uh, have hope. Have confident expectation that God is working on your behalf. Recognize exactly what it is when you have doubt. What, what is it that's causing my doubts? Am I in a dry place spiritually? Am I suffering? Do I have people constantly berating me? What is it that's causing my doubt? Surround yourself with godly people and listen. Listen to them. Remember what God has done in your past. Remember what He said. Remember what He's done. Remember the way He's worked in the past. As we stated earlier, doubt your doubts. And remember that faith is a choice that we make. We make a choice to believe. Not built on emotion, but built upon the truth of God's Word. And study the Word of God. Uh, study the Word of God and, and other uh, great men who've struggled with the struggles that you have. And finally, believe that God is on your side and step toward Him. You know, I stated earlier, and many of you have heard this story before, but I stated earlier to you that there are many families here who've lost loved ones and many that I've prayed for. There was one, uh, Kyle Clark, that many of you remember and I've shared before. I, I remember going over to John and Sherry Darnell's house and laying hands on him, and there were several of us that just prayed, and I just really believed that God was going to heal him. I really did. And I, I prayed as hard as I've ever prayed in my life. And when we got through praying, I looked up my hands, and, and I recognized nothing had happened, at least in that moment. And sometimes God begins the process. Sometimes God uh, heals instant, instantly, but he hadn't in that particular situation. And it wasn't long before uh, Kyle passed. And I remember his wife, Lee. Matter of fact, I want to show you a picture of their family. They're already there. And um, this, is, uh, this is Kyle's family. And uh, this is Lee, who's a single mom now. And uh, she's got three beautiful children here this morning, matter of fact. And, uh, you know, they asked for healing for their father multiple times, many times. And Lee did. And I prayed with Lee uh, a lot. Many of you prayed. Uh, but I remember her at one point saying, I'm trusting him in to God's hands. We've been going through this for a long time. He had brain cancer. I'm trusting him in to God's hands. I'm believing that God can heal him, but I'm, I'm fiducia. I am taking my belief, my faith, and I'm placing it here. I'm transferring my trust right here. And whatever God does, I will accept it. That's what it means to really believe. God, whatever you do, I will trust you. It doesn't mean I will like it. It doesn't mean I won't suffer. I won't cry. It doesn't mean that it won't greatly impact my life, but I will trust you. And what a testimony that is. We think that the greatest testimonies are when we pray and something great happens and everybody goes, oh yeah, that makes Jesus look good. And it does. But you know what is even deeper and richer? is when you trust and you believe and God still removes the individual. God still lets it go. God still doesn't heal. And yet you still believe. 
people look at that and they go, what is it about you that you can still trust Him, you can still praise Him, you can still worship Him? That's fiducia. That's real. That's pisteo in its fullest sense. That's doubting your doubts. That's saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I give it completely to you this day. Where are you this morning? If you would, let's pray together. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a mental acknowledgement of who Jesus is. You have the information, but you've never really trusted Him. I want to invite you to do that. In the back of our building here, we have a welcome room, and there'll be some folks that would love to talk to you. Uh, I'll be up here at the front if you want to come and visit with me. But if you've never really transferred your trust to Christ, recognize that you were a sinner and that you needed forgiveness, and transfer your trust not from what you could do, but what Christ has done, then I want to invite you to do that this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you just don't have enough information. You don't understand everything. Then come and let us help you take that next step. Come by our welcome room or come see me and let us help you take that next step. Help us. Let us help you in the knowledge base. There are plenty of Bible studies. We have one-on-one discipleship. There's plenty of opportunities. I want to invite you to take that next step. Maybe you're here and you're just rejecting belief. I want to ask you to take a step toward God. I want to ask you at least to begin to read uh, to uh, to really honestly deal with maybe some of the doubts and the unbelief you had through those websites, uh, through C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, uh, through Lee Strobel's A Case for Christ. I want to invite you to consider uh, really studying and really asking God to reveal Himself. Because I believe He will is once you come with an open and contrite heart. Lord, thank You for this time together. I pray for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you. For those who are doubting, that you would embrace them. For those who are having difficulty, really trusting you. God, would you wrap your arms around them and, and as they pray to you, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Would you draw them to you and let them know that you are there and that you are walking with them. We thank you for this time and we thank you for your grace and mercy. In the name of Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen.